study in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 1 through 11. Again, Romans chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, um, we, for those that are new today, uh, we have started our study in the book of Romans a couple weeks ago. Uh, the book of Romans was written by Apostle Paul. Uh, he was writing his letter to the Roman church. And so in the New Testament, we have, after the book of Acts, we have the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and you continue going on. You have Galatians and Ephesians. And all of these are letters that Paul written to the church. And he wrote these letters to encourage the church and build the church up. And so the book of Romans is a book that was written to the Romans to encourage the church of Romans. Let me read for us. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. If you need a, a Bible, if you don't have one, uh, if you raise your hand, uh, we can bring a Bible to you, and it'll be our gift to you if you need a Bible. Therefore, you have no excuse. O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you would escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing a wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be, re, re, be, we, I can't even see it. Judgment will be revealed. Verse six. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who God patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Verse 8, but for those who are seeking, self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Let me pray for us and let's walk through God's word together this morning. Our Father God is in heaven, our creator. How we learned this morning that you brought, you breathe life into us. You're a God that preserves us, Lord, as we learned about Daniel in the lion's den. Lord, you are a good God. You are a faithful God. So Lord, let us listen to you this morning. Let us take heed to your word this morning. Let no one be distracted, Lord, by my shortcomings. Let no one be distracted, Lord, by the things that's happening outside of here or the anticipation, Lord, of checking our football scores. Let us not be distracted by anything this morning, Lord, but let us right now, Lord, sit in your word. Let us hear your word. Let us be encouraged by your word. Even for me, Lord, let me hear your word as well. Let me be encouraged. 
I am weak this morning, Lord. I need your strength. I need your guidance. So God, your servant, Lord, this morning. And let me preach your word, Lord, in a faithful way. Preach truth. If it's not in your word, Lord, remove it from my heart, my mind, and from my notes. But Lord, let me, Lord, be guided by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember this past summer um, getting ready to start the summer off with cutting the grass. Got my lawnmower out. When I pulled the lawnmower out, I thought I was gonna be able to get one good pull and with the lever down, I can get started mowing my grass. But I pulled the lawnmower out and I pulled it again. And I pulled it again, my arm kind of starting to get kind of weak. And my lawnmower never started. And I thought to think that Zoe break my lawnmower. Oh, did Greg come over and use my lawnmower and break my lawnmower? Then over time, I started to think about it, and I talked to a couple people around me. I think it might have been my dad and Mr. Pitts. Eventually, I poured out the gas. Then I poured a spark plug out. Then I kind of, I don't know what all we did with the spark plug. I don't know we kind of aired it out, tried to dry the spark plug out, poured out the gas. Then after all that, we said, okay, we put the spark plug back in, got some fresh gas. I think we even got the 93 gas this time. I don't know what Zoe did. So we got some new gas we put in. This before you got the lumber, Zoe, so I don't know. So you won't start thinking that. So we got some new gas, put some new gas in the lawnmower. And after we put the new gas in, we said, okay, now let's give it a try again. I pulled it one time, I kind of heard it, I said, okay, something happening. And I pulled it again, and next thing you know, the lawnmower started up. And I started thinking that, I remember a while back, it was raining in my backyard one day. And possibly some water got into my gas, so happily. So after I poured the gas out, the lawnmower started when I put new gas in. Even just a little water or just enough of diluted gas can cause the lawnmower not to start. Just a little bit of water goes into this engine. Just a little bit of water that goes into it can cause it not to start. You guys might be asking like, Creston, I know you want to cut grass and cut leaves. What did that have to do with the sermon today? Y'all be patient. Because I think this does relate to our sermon today. Because this right here, a little bit of gas reminds us of a little bit of sin. It's just a little bit of sin brings about God's wrath. A little bit of sin makes us not right with God. It's just a small sin, right? This person right here killed somebody. I only told one little lie and said my kid was five, five years old to get a free buffet. That, that doesn't compare to somebody pulling out the Draco. Is that right, Treasure? So that's, you know, so somebody might say that this is don't compare. But in actuality, though, is that a little bit of sin separates us from God. 
Big sin separated from God and deserved God's wrath. I like this. So small things like water or big things or whatever the case may be with a lawnmower might start a lot, might cause a lawnmower not to start. In the same way in the Christian life. Sin separates us from God. It talks about this in Isaiah 10.52. This relates to our test today. Because last week we talked about the vile sins. We talked about the vile things last week. But today we're going to talk about the subtle sins. The sins that we look over. The small little sins. Oh, that's... That sin right there is not as noticeable as a big sin. So that sin right there doesn't have to be taken serious. So how are we going to do it? We're going to do it today in three points. They know the, they know the truth, but don't keep the truth. In verse 1a. The second point is going to be hypocrites will get their work just like the other sinner. Sorry, but I think I was listening to some when I was working on the sermon. So, uh, and number three, unfaithful people will get God's wrath, but the faithful will get eternal life. So, jumping to point number one, they know the truth, but don't keep the truth. It says right there in verse one, therefore you have no excuse. The word therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in scriptures, it lets us know that something came before it. It points us back to chapter 1. How Paul laid out before us the power of the gospel. That this same gospel, Paul has said, he's not ashamed of this gospel. Because the gospel comes with this righteousness of God given towards those that do not deserve God's righteousness. God gives grace and mercy and righteousness towards these broken people. The gospel makes us, makes us possible for us to have salvation. It's the good news that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but Jesus came who existed in eternity past. Jesus came and took upon flesh. He lived the life that we didn't live. He lived a perfect, righteous life. And by him living a perfect, righteous life, he placed the sins on himself. He took our sins and placed on himself and he was judged by that. He was judged as a person that has sinned, even though he's never sinned. That's what we learn from 2 Corinthians, what? 2? 21, I believe. 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that in him that we may become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became sin, but he never sinned before. But for those that are in Christ, they became righteous. That's the greatest change. That broken people are made right. The greatest news ever. And Paul is a testifying to the Roman church that I ain't afraid of the Roman Empire. I'm coming to Rome because I know what the gospel has done for me. The gospel has saved me. The gospel has made me right. What Paul is writing to them is that, do y'all remember that? Sometimes, family, we can get comfortable, can't we? Sometimes we get comfortable and let our guard down. Sometimes we might be very alert over the years, say you lock your doors every day. 
So over time, nobody's broken to your car. You might feel like, okay, ain't nobody broken my car in five years. I can leave it unlocked tonight, and I would, I'll lock it up tomorrow. Now. I'll lock it up, I'll lock it up tomorrow, and I, I won't forget. Over time, we can let our guard down with things in life. So Paul is right, this right here is that Roman church, do you remember? Do you remember? Like, you don't understand the gospel if you don't understand sin. So how does Paul does this? So Paul lays out in 18 through 32 in chapter 1. How vile these sinners are. Now who are these sinners that he said is vile? Those who have suppressed the truth. God has given up them truth and they have suppressed the truth. And the ones that have been given over to their own ways. The ones that's like Adam and Eve in the garden. God gave them over to their own ways. They didn't want to trust God. God gave them over to their own ways. In the same way, God has given mankind over to their ways. So they suppress the truth and they're given over to God. I mean, given over to their own ways. And what's an example of giving over to their own ways? We talked about this in chapter one. There were men marrying men, which is forbidden, right? It was women marrying women, which was forbidden. But not only that we learned about, not just homosexuality, that's a vow sin. A lot of times we put a point that's a vow sin, but he goes on to mention more. Look in verses 29 and 31 in chapter one. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, Covenantness, yes. Somebody got a Gucci coach purse you want, yes. Malice, or even envy. How did they get that job? I'm better. I'm better than them. Murderer, strife, deceit, maliciousness. The same chapter with the area of homosexuality, we see murder, we see strife, we see deceit, we see malicious, maliciousness. What about gossips? Slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. I know I'm guilty of boastful myself quite a bit. Inventors of evil, create new ways to do evil stuff. What do y'all say? Create new ways to hit a lick, right? Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are considered the vile things we learn. But not just these sins. But the sins of today's text today will also be God's wrath. The sin that Paul addressed today is telling people one thing but does another. We saw a little bit some church verse 32. And again, um, you can get so distracted in this and be all over the place in this message thinking about all these types of sins. But what Paul is doing here is that he wanted the Roman church to be reminded that for any of them that try to check off the list, hey, I'm not a homosexual. <laughs> I, I haven't killed anybody. So, hey, this message to the Roman church, this for them people that have been killing people. <laughs> this for them that, that be gossiping. So what Paul is doing, Paul is letting them know that you don't have an excuse. 
you're trying to say that everybody else is doing all these things, but you are just as guilty. Paul is just walking them down. Paul is walking them down with this, okay? He named all these vows sin, but now he's going to say that, okay? For you not keeping the truth, you're just as wrong as them. That's what he's summarizing today. You're just as wrong. All that talking you're doing, all this doing, you're quoting all these scriptures and all these things you're doing, you still ain't keeping the truth. You're just as guilty as them. We saw this a little bit in verse 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those that practice them. They know the word, but they choose to break it anyway. They try to justify themselves. They try to think about a way that, well, God technically say I can't do this. I, I can go a little bit farther with this. And they sort of try to manipulate God's word for them to cater to the flesh. And in this test right here, many may suggest that Paul is talking to the Gentiles. But some suggest that Paul is talking to the Jews here. Well, I see Paul is going back and forth through the book of Romans. Some many, one many talking to the Jewish believers in the church. He's talking to the Greek believers in the church. I think Paul is going back and forth because both groups are going to pretty much try to create some type of self-righteousness that we are better than the Jews or we're better than the Greeks. So the whole book of Romans, Paul is back and forth saying, hey, Greek and Jew, both of y'all sinners. Well, particularly here in our text, right here in the text, we're talking about, I think Paul now is talking back to the Jews. Because the Jews were given God's special revelation of the law. They was given God's word as a special revelation. The Gentiles, by nature, we're going to learn later in chapter 2, God has given them the law through nature that they should love their neighbor. But God has given the Asher, the Jews, God's word through the Old Testament scriptures. So I leave the posture right now as to these Jews are, are the one that know have heard God's word, that have heard God's word, have read God's word, and not keeping it. And this reminds me of Jesus' ministry with the Pharisees, which brings me to point number two. Hypocrites will get that word just like the other sinners. It says it right here in verse 1b. Oh man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Again, now, this letter to the Roman now even gets personal. I'm still struggling with my English, but this Greek word right here, it's actually, it's like this, this O. It might be in you, but I don't know if everybody version have an O in front of theirs in that verse 1b. This O represent right here is it represents this type of always expresses intense emotion, one say. Old man is the, is, the, is the response to someone who knows God's standard, but they break it and they encourage others to break it. So always this intense emotion that for them, they are really compared within themselves to do such things. Again, that's exactly what we see the character of the Pharisees. 
Listen to verses one through five a little bit again. But you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on, on those who practice such things. Do you suppose? He used the word again. Oh, again. Oh, man. So Paul is communicating a way of like this intensity, like you, you, under, you know God's word and you're not keeping God's word. Like you, you. Sometimes instead of using the old, sometimes the scripture would say the word two times to kind of to communicate the um, I guess the in that moment the uh, the emotions or the the, the um, how God is displaying His character in that moment. But it said, "You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you would escape the judgment of God." This judgment of God for lawbreaker is his wrath. Again, the O points again to the man that know right, but don't do it right, encourages others to do right. Doesn't cause others to do right. Try to encourage them to do right, but they don't do right themselves. This person cannot save themselves from the wrath of God. Paul even responds with, Y'all misusing God's kindness now in here. We see that later in the verse. Y'all like God is forgiven, so you're okay to live this certain way. But again, Paul responds in verse five. But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing a wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So he's all those on the verse four. He said, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. So God is kind and God haven't struck you down yet. Hey, I can, I can drag this out longer and not keep him to his word. So Paul is getting it for those that are not keeping God's word, that are dragging God's word out and think that God's kindness is there to be able to receive them. Paul says, you got another thing coming. So remind me again of Jesus. This mirrors Jesus in Matthew 23. Y'all remember several groups in Jesus' life? It was the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes. They knew the law of Moses, but only kept them when they wanted to benefit from them. They hated Jesus because he was a true follower of the Father. Jesus didn't talk a good game. His life mirrored what his message was. He said he came here to serve. And what did he do on the cross? He gave his life up to serve those that were broken. So even though Jesus came here and did everything right, they hated Jesus. They hated him. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, a lot of them gave him a hard time. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus spent time rebuking them. These so-called believers of God but wasn't truly believers in Matthew 23. They were actually, we talked about this at the conference, they were actually nominal believers. They were actually believers in word only. The word nominal defined in Webster is existing in name only. 
that you're not who you claim to be. You're just using his name as an, an imposter. A lot of times in politics, we spend so much time defending the faith of against Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Hebrew Israelites. But not spend enough time defending the faith against those who profess being a believer, but life doesn't bear fruit. So our test in Romans 2 is dealing with those that got so much head knowledge on scriptures, but their lives and their heart towards God's word and towards that neighbor is obsolete. They think they are in the faith, but many of them are, are, are not in the faith. This era has helped encourage many to reject biblical Christianity in, in, in America. This isn't any new. America is again considered the Christian nation. We're considered the Christian nation, but we're killing each other. Stealing against each other, hurting each other. If we are to be a Christian people, right? We should be a witness of what God has done for us. Family, I think a lot of American Christianity is nominal Christianity. People are saying they believe in Jesus, but truly don't. I think who they remind me of, they remind me of what we hear in Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the worst they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They top heavy burdens and hard to bear, and they lay them up on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. Jump down to verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land, make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much of a child of hell as yourselves. You guys get what I'm going with this. This is Jesus now. It's not Paul Washington, Jesus. Woe to you blind gods who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So Jesus goes on and just listing over and over things of these so-called believers of the Jewish people, Pharisees and Sadducees. But what is Jesus getting at? Jesus was getting that there was only believers in name only, not by their lives. I think that what Paul is getting at here in this text. Not those just murderers, People that say they believe and not live in their life as a believer, Paul is getting at is that you deserve God's wrath. And Paul is going to get to the same famous verse. What's Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. He doesn't get to Romans 3.23 yet. He's in Romans 2. 
Romans 2 is building up to 323 and to 310. He's building up the case for this. Is that he going through and letting them know that all of y'all have sinned. Y'all haven't kept the law. Y'all saying y'all kept the law. Y'all saying y'all came to church every Sunday or every Sabbath or within the Jewish community. Y'all came, but y'all heart was so far away. Family that are here today. You might have professed been a believer at a young age. You might say you have loved Jesus since you was two years old, three years old. But I say this right here. If you say you believe in Jesus and your life is not mirror that profession of faith, the scriptures right here pretty much bring it forward to be able to see that, are you truly a believer? And I know that for all of us in this room, we all have sinned. But God, by his spirit, is given to believers that God is making us more like Christ, that we hate our sins. It's one thing to, to mess up in sin and continue in it and enjoying it. <clears throat> then saying you're a believer, that's not a believer. But a person that has sinned, like myself, I sin daily. For me to be able to, to approach the Lord and to approach a brother that I have sinned against you, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the posture of a believer. That's the posture of many of you here. But the text here describing the people right here that are saying they believe, but they truly don't live their life as they believe. And after this, Paul kind of Finish this text. So we finish this. I stop right here, verse eleven. Now we're going to see in point number three, six to eleven. Paul's going to describe what's going to happen right here for those that are on this side, right? The murderers, the the, the people that are jealous, that are envy, the, the homosexuals. All these things on this list. Then he's going to have another list over here for those. That are in Christ. So what did he do? Look in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who practice. For to those who, who by patience and well-doing seek for the glory and honor. And the immortality. He will give eternal life. Paul now again makes this contrast of two types of people. He described here the first one that the one type right here is. The one that's going to receive eternal life. The one that will receive eternal life is patient and well-doing and seek for the glory and the honor, uh, honor and immortality. This person is different from the person that is living contrary to God's word. This person seeks to do the right things patiently. They know doing the right thing might not reap the benefits on earth. Because doing the right thing, you might lose your job. Doing the right things, you might just lose some friendships. Doing the right things, you may lose the seat at the table. So it might seem that those who are doing the right things might not be Bless. But one to do the right things are honored. 
by doing the things the Lord has called them to do. Even though they might, see, might not see it in this world because of what is happening, the persecution that's coming towards them, they might not see the tangible thing daily, but they're there. So family, who meet this qualification for eternal life? For those that are in Christ, we do. For us that are waiting that God is going to prepare a place for us. God gives us heaven. That we might lose a job right now, but God is going to give us something better in the future. He's going to give us heaven. But God is going to give us peace. He's going to give us encouragement by the brothers and sisters in the church. He blesses us with another job at times. So family, to those that are in Christ, we are patient. Even when there's things in his life is just so hard, we don't give in to the things in this world because the things in this world are so easy. It's so easy to do wrong, isn't it? But it's so hard at times, right, to do right. That's why Christ tells us that we must suffer for the name of Christ's name's sake. We must suffer to follow Jesus hard. Because things that our flesh want, we must say no to it. But for those that don't say no to it, for those that say, no, I want it right now. I want the attention right now. I want all the attention that the world has to offer. I'm not getting enough lights on my, is it IG? I'm not getting enough lights on my IG. Is it followers, right? I'm not getting enough followers on my IG. People not re retweeting me. Is that it? Retweet. Not getting all these things from the world, the attention, the likes, and all these things. What do we what do what do the flesh do at times? They continue going to trying to seek some type of self-identity. Let me see that in verse 7. I mean, verse 89. But for those who are seek self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be the wrath and fury. So, but, so for those that seek to be awarded by man here in this world, want the attention to do anything to better get attention to worship self, God's wrath will become upon you because they are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. And that's what was happening. These scribes and Pharisees in the Old Testament, in, in, in the New Testament, we learned about with Jesus' life, for all of them was self-seeking. They was using the law to benefit for themselves. They were turning God's word upside down for them to benefit from it. And whatever feel good to them, whatever sound good to them. So they follow God only when it's convenient to them. They again know the truth but do not obey it. But they obey unrighteousness. It said in verse 9, they will be there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. God will punish all who do what does evil. Tribulation and distress will come upon them. That's the language we hear in the book of Revelation. Remember, Paul go so far in Rome, Rome to this Roman church 
is to let everyone know in this Roman church that they have sinned against God and deserve his wrath. And by Paul is doing this, this would lead the Roman church to be encouraged to always be thankful for the gospel. So some of y'all might be saying, Paul is being messy now. We all know we've sinned. Why is Paul telling us again? Paul is telling them this again, not to be messy. He's telling them this again for they were reminded of the grace that has been given to them. Because if they don't cherish the grace, they are trampled upon the grace. Think about your life, something valuable. Something that's worth a lot of money in your life. Would you just throw it on the ground and let somebody just step all over it? Why not? Because it's valuable. If the gospel is so valuable, you, you would cherish it. You would care how you live your life. You know what God has done for you. So Paul reminded them, though, is that look what Christ has done for you. But before Paul can get them there, Paul is letting them know is that this is why the gospel is needed. Because you have sinned. And by Paul doing this, this is going to keep this Roman church humble. It's going to keep them with biblical unity. It's going to keep us a Christ redeemer for us not trying to one up each other. I'm better than this person because I know these verses. I'm better than this person because I did this. This is going to humble us, letting us know at the end of the day, all of us are sinning. Apart from Christ, we all deserve God's wrath. This humble us to be able to love one another, to build one another up. One, one another up. We talked about it earlier on Wednesday. We shouldn't be waiting for somebody to come through the door. Huh? I wonder what they got going on. This humble us for us not to have that posture. Because apart from Christ, we're worse than anyone that comes through that door. That's what Paul is getting at. By us understanding what we have received in Christ, family creates a community of biblical unity. People that are loving and building one another up. We see this in verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Family is peace within the church. It's peace within the believer. Jew first and also the Greek. Family, we get peace. Honor and glory we see here for everyone that does good. Family, let us be a people that does good. And we do good because of what Christ has done. So family, as we be reminded, this is not just given to the Jews. The end of verse 11 said no, it said no partiality in verse 11. For God showed no partiality. The family is for all believers. Jew and Greek. So if the Jews in the church were like, the Jews in the Roman church said, hey, we get this, y'all don't get this. Or the Greeks said, we get this, y'all had y'all chance in the Old Testament, y'all messed it up, y'all don't get this, Jews. Paul is getting that, hey, it's no partiality. For those that are in God, they get peace in Christ. Let's end with three applications. I'm over time. I saw Jordan blinking at me three times. How are we stewarding God's truth? How are we stewarding? How are we cherishing God's truth? Family, if we're not cherishing God's truth, family, we, we are the ones that are described in this text here. Those that have known the truth and said the truth, 
but not holding to the truth. He even also encouraged others not to keep the truth. So family, let me encourage you. If you're a new believer or a seasoned believer, take your time in chewing on God's word. Don't read so much scriptures and then you're reading so much, you're telling everybody about the scriptures and you haven't spent time with God growing you in that particular passage yet. And what happened is they become head knowledge and hasn't even reached the heart. Reached the heart. So family, one way to, to steward God's truth is meditate on that passage. Meditate on it. And ask the Lord to help you in your own life to, to, to live, this, to work this out in your own life by his spirit and get brothers and sisters to come alongside you to encourage you in it. One brother, I met with a brother. I was I was a young whoopersnapper at the time. So I uh, met with a brother. I was so happy, man. I learned some doctrine. I met with a brother for lunch. I'm throwing out words at him. And he was looking like, man, bro, why are you throwing all these words out? And he kind of broke it down and said, man, is that once I learn something new, he said, I try to put it in my little note sheet or whatever I put it down. I won't bring that word up for about three months. I meditate on the word for about three months before I bring it up to anybody. And I thought about that. I said, man, some wisdom in this. He let that, what he acknowledged that he learned about that certain passage, he let it soak in for a while and let it see how his life compared up to that test over time before you even talk about it to someone else. That's such a good principle to use. Give your son soak in the word for a while before trying to call somebody else out on their word and see if you actually meditate on it yourself for a good season. Number two, I would say this. List some things that people may have mentioned about you and related to misusing God's word. And share that list with the, uh, with the Lord first and with someone else. That's in your life. Again, talk to people that might have felt like you have mentioned God's word out of context. You have misused God's word. And if so, or somebody might have said you haven't kept God's word and you've been using it. Don't grow up in pride and say, man, how dare you say this to me? List those things down in humility. And maybe you can get somebody to hold you accountable to be able to see how you can be more faithful with God's word in the future. I'm not saying you got to go tell everybody, like, you know, ask everybody in the room, you know, what's some things that I haven't kept, but find somebody you trust, find somebody you trust and ask them, how have you kept these things you have mentioned to them? It can be pornography. You might, it can, might can be some dealing with anger. You might tell somebody about their anger, but you're the most angriest, per angriest person in the room. Whatever that thing is, find somebody that you can actually confess these things to and have some accountability. And number three, we're our people that are full of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Family, we are people of gratitude. We have received and been given God's grace. Let us walk in that grace. Let us be quick to love those around us. A lot of people got a broken past you don't know anything about. A lot of times we already prejudge somebody because their life it doesn't look like what it should be right now. Family, they got a pass. One guy told me last night, 
He said, hurt people need to be loved more than they're hurt. He said, hurt people need to be loved more than they're hurt. That's how far we need to go with love. We need to go so far with love to enter that deep love, enter that deep brokenness right there. And we give them God's word. And we let them see that God's word says this is who you are. And God's word tells us what Christ has done. We give them God's word and we stay there and we walk with them and we love them through it. And it might take years, it might take months and days. But family, let us be a people of gratitude. We enter people's lives. Letting people know that, yes, we mess up at times. But we thank you for God's grace and his mercy. Let me pray. Let me end here. And um, Lord's willing, next week, we're just continuing the text.